speak to you on uh, about a mom in the scripture named Hannah this morning. If you'll take your Bibles and open up to 1 Samuel chapter 1, and we'll read our text in just a bit. There was a survey from the UK that involved a thousand mothers, and it found that moms are quite possibly the most quizzed people on the planet. On average, from breakfast to the afternoon time, the average stay-at-home mom faces one question every two minutes and 36 seconds. That adds up to about 105,120 questions per year. And the questions spike during mealtimes. Girls aged four are the most curious, asking an incredible 390 questions a day. On the other end of the spectrum, boys aged nine ask the least amount of questions. But according to the survey, the moms claimed that these were the top five toughest questions in order. Number one, mom, why is water wet? Number two, mom, where does the sky end? Number three, mom, what are shadows made of? Number four, why is the sky blue? And number five, how do fish breathe underwater? Those are the toughest questions moms were asked. Well, moms are pretty smart, aren't they? And you know, moms are also good when it comes to spiritual matters in life. And that's the story this morning of the text I want us to look at. You see, a mom loved God. And because she loved God, her son would grow up and become known as the man of God. If you're physically able to do so, stand with me this morning as we read our text, beginning in verse 9 of 1 Samuel chapter 1, the scripture says, after they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli uh, took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I'm a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along, I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. And then Eli answered, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. And then the woman went away and ate, and her face was no longer sad. And they rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. And then they went back to their house at Ramah. 
And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Father, would you now speak to us this morning? Teach us about living victoriously for you from the life of Hannah. Speak into our hearts. Uh, Father, you know uh, the vexations of our souls. And so speak there, Father. Teach us now. We're listening. Convict us. Correct us. Change us. Transform us with your word, your Holy Spirit operating in this place, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. Now, let me give you a little bit of background on the passage that we just read. Maybe you know the story of Hannah, and she was a wonderful mom, but she uh, had a journey to get there. But you need to know what's going on at the time that this story is set in. This, this rolls out of the same era of the Judges. And uh, you remember in the book of Judges, it is said, this statement is made, that everyone did what was right in his own eyes. It was a time where society had become a cesspool. It was a pit of depravity and corruption. It was a time when people had slipped into an immoral, lawless, abusive, violent, compromising, and permissive lifestyle, much like the age we're living in. The depth of the moral decay is revealed, if you wanted to look at it later, in Judges chapter 17 through 21. And it was seen through everything from rape and homosexuality to wife abuse, child abuse, murder, kidnapping, widespread polygamy. There was evidence of great greed, injustice, idolatry, and civil war. But in the midst of such an immoral and lawless society, there were a few persons who lived for God. God has always had a remnant. And their lives demonstrated the light of God's word, the light of the truth of God's holy word. They loved the Lord. They obeyed him. They kept his commandments. And such a person was Hannah, Samuel's mother. Our passage begins the story then of Samuel and Hannah, uh, the journey that uh, she was on and, and the result and what would happen to a whole nation because of her faithfulness to the Lord and because of the son she would birth. Her life and her journey are worth reading. They're worth studying and finding out what we can learn. And I want you to know this morning that this message, though we're talking about Hannah the mom, all the principles I'm talking about work in all of our lives. And I want to show you several things this morning because I think they reflect the victorious life of the follower of God. The first thing I want you to notice is found in verse 10. Keep your Bibles open. It is Hannah's pain. Verse 10 says she was deeply distressed. She prayed to the Lord. She wept bitterly. Now, Hannah's pain was connected to her inability to have a child and, and her, uh, the, the provoking by her what she calls or what the Bible calls her rival who just kept making fun of her because she couldn't have a child, kept poking fun at her. By the way, shame on her and shame on anyone that makes fun of a woman who is not able to have a child. And by the way, I would say to all of those ladies that uh, said, I, I wanted a child, or, uh, uh, but I can't seem to have a child. Listen, you live for God. God has other purposes for you. Don't you ever let somebody shame you because of that. Your value to God is not measured by that. 
But uh, Hannah was feeling the pressure from this rival who was, uh, without a doubt, probably made fun of her for not being able to uh, uh, bear a child. And Hannah would become a great mom, as we know, but not before she trained, uh, traveled a, a painful and long path. And so here's what we learn, first of all, from her pain. We learn a couple things. We learn from Hannah's pain, we learn that where you are now does not necessarily mean the end of your story. Where you are now doesn't mean that this is where it ends. In fact, I can tell you it doesn't end here. We have a statement that we've been saying for 21 years around here, and that is God's always trying to take us someplace new. Where you are is not the end. And we learned that from Hannah. Where she was was not the end of her story. She didn't know it at that time, just like you and I don't know where the end of our story is. But don't make the faulty assumption that God can't use your pain for something great. I remember when our daughter was very young, and uh, one day we were out in the backyard playing, and, and uh, she, I guess she was about four. I want to say she was about four, Chase, and our little dog, playing with her, jumped up, and with its paw, scraped across the, just the top of her forehead here, but opened up a pretty significant gash, and uh, the kind of gash that we had to take her to the emergency room with. We took her to the emergency room, and sure enough, uh, when the doctor well, took her uh, back and began looking, the doctor said, we're going to have to put stitches. She's four years old, and, and so Allison, we knew what that meant. They going to have to put that needle in that, in that gash, and we're thinking a four-year-old, a big old needle in the gash. That hurts just thinking about, and Allison said, I can't watch it. I can't watch it. You've got you've to go back there with her. And I thought, I can't watch it either. <laughs> but, but I went back. And uh, then they did. You, you, you've been there, and they said they wrap them up, you know, where their arms can't do anything. They wrap them in a, in a sheet, and there's like this. And she begins to cry, and I'm sitting there in the room, and the doctor gets this needle out, and my daughter starts going, uh, Help me, Daddy. Help me. Help me, Daddy. Help me. Help me. She sees that needle coming, and I do too, and I'm wanting to cry out, Help me, Karis. Help me. <laughs> And, uh, but uh, he said, help me, daddy, help me. And I have to tell you, in that moment, I wanted to help. I, I know probably I could have said to the doctor, doctor, just don't do it. We're not going to do this. She, she can't handle this, and I can't handle that she can't handle this. And uh, just stop it. And she looked at me like, daddy, aren't you going to come to my rescue? That was the hard part. But I didn't stop, and I didn't stop, and you know why I didn't stop, because I knew the little bit of momentary pain was worth the long-term outcome. And today, if you look at her, there's no scar. You can't see where that big gash was opened above her head. I knew the momentary pain would lead to something better. Now listen, your pain is momentary, and it will lead to something better. That's why God often says, I'm going to let you walk this journey. I'm going to let you walk this journey because I know the end of the story and you don't. Don't assume that your pain is negligence on the part of God. I don't know what you're going through. Those of you who are listening to us by live stream and television and radio, I don't know what you're going through right now. But listen, don't make the faulty assumption that that because God hasn't responded right now in this time, in this season, that it's negligence on the part of God. You don't know where this story's going to end, but God does, and that's why you stay faithful. The second thing about her pain we learn is that no matter what the source of your pain, 
God is in control of your destiny. God is in control of your destiny. See, I'm convinced that a lot of times God doesn't let us know where our destiny is going to end up because God knows we wouldn't trust him right now. And so no matter what the source of your pain in your life, we know what hers was, what is yours, no matter what it is, I want you to know that uh, that God is still in control of your destiny. And so that's why you continue to walk with him. God uses pain to grow us. God uses pain to bless us. And listen, God uses pain to bring blessing to others. Her long journey and her painful journey, she was in distress. Now, it was emotional distress for her, but sometimes that's more painful than physical pain, isn't it? And she was in that kind of distress. We know what her pain was, but you know God would use this journey to bring about a son that would change a nation. So, God uses pain to grow us, to bless us, and bless others. The second thing I want you to say on your outline this morning is Hannah's prayer. Look at verse 10 again. So she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She prayed. She wept bitterly. F.B. Meyer said, as we pour out our, our bitterness, God pours in his peace. As we pour out our bitterness, so if you're struggling, you're emotionally, you're hurting, take that and pour it out to God. As you pour it out to God, then God can pour his peace in as a replacement. Now, we know that Hannah's prayer was the result of her pain. That's why she's praying. She's, she's uh, hurting. And as a result, she pours her heart out to God. She later tells Eli when he thinks she's drunk, he says, you're, you're drunk. She says, no, I'm pouring my soul out to the Lord. But from this, we learn a, a few things as well. Number one, we learned that the way you respond to your pain is a difference maker. The way you respond to your pain. She was hurting. What did she do? She prayed. Prayer is not, listen, prayer is not the last resort. It's the first response. And she goes before the Lord. She's praying to the Lord. She's seeking the Lord. She's pouring her heart out. The way you respond to your pain is a difference maker. And and frankly, you can't do anything more powerful than pray first. Uh, Her prayer would lead to a product, and that product would be the son Uh, Samuel, who would again, as I said, and we'll say again in this message, changed a nation. You don't know where your pain is taking you, but God knows what he wants to do in you as well as through you because of the pain uh, of the season that you're in. Uh, Hannah's prayer was based as well on her trust in God. She trusted God. So she, as verse 15 says, and as I referred to, she pours out her soul to God. It was based in trust. She knew, look, she didn't, isn't this interesting? They'd gone up to Shiloh for the annual sacrifices, and she she didn't have her first encounter with Eli. She had her first encounter with God. She didn't say, well, I'll go to the priest. I'm not saying that's a bad idea. I'm just simply saying she understood that her trust was in God. If if there's any help for me, my help is in God. And so she's pouring her heart out to God. She trusted God. She knew only God could resolve her pain and her problem. The third thing I want you to see this morning is Hannah's promise. Look at verse 11. So she vows a vow uh, to the Lord. She says, if you'll give me a, uh, a son, if you'll remember me and give me a son, I'll give him back to you. She makes a promise. She vows a vow. And uh, 
she, essentially, she promises to God that his blessing to her, if he would bless her, she would in turn bring blessing to him. And she did, said, I will dedicate this son to you. Now, in the second hour, we're going to have baby dedication. We do that uh, sometimes a couple times a year. We're going to do that in our second hour. We have over 20 babies to dedicate to the Lord. And by the way, it's not all of them. Uh, there were about 31 of them. Only 20 of them could make the service this morning. Incredible and a wonderful thing. We're going to dedicate these, these children to the Lord, and, and their parents will make a commitment, and their, their uh, uh, parents will make promises, and those promises are not to the church. Those promises are to God. And the church will make promises to the parents and promises to God so that we will all assume responsibility to making the right investment in these children that the Lord has entrusted to their parents as well as to the family of God. A promise will be made. A commitment will be expressed. And, uh, and we do that because of this story right here where Samuel was dedicated to the Lord. And we remember the words of Scripture that say this, train up a child in the ways of God. Train up a child in the ways of God. And there are some lessons that we learn from Hannah in this dedicatory uh, process. We learn that all that we receive actually belongs to God. She said, my most valuable treasure, if you will give to me my most valuable, the most valuable treasure you could give would be a son. If you'll entrust me a son, I'll give him back to you. You know what it teaches us? It teaches us that all that we receive actually belongs to God. Everything we have should be returned to God. Everything we have should be dedicated to Him. And we also learned that because all good gifts, you know, James said all good and perfect gifts come down from the Father uh, of lights with whom there's no variation or shifting shadows. We, we learned that because all good gifts come down from the Father, we should offer up all good gifts back to the Father. They are trust. And then we learn that God hears our vows and commitments, and so we ought to take them very seriously. Now listen, this is important. She wasn't saying, uh, God, here's a thought. If you'll give me a son, I'll give him back to you. And then down the road, hey, hey you know, God knows I, I wasn't really serious about that. No, no, no. Listen, she teaches us the importance of making commitments to God. Psalm 76, 11 says, make your vows to the Lord your God and perform them. Let all around him bring gifts to him who is to be feared. Did you catch that? Make your vows to the Lord, your God, and perform them. Not just make commitments. We're easy. It's easy to make a commitment. The question is, are you going to make commitments that you live up to? Psalm 50 and verse 14 says, Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. I wonder today... Have you made any vows, any commitments to God that you've forgotten to keep? Hannah teaches us the importance of not only making commitments, but keeping commitments. Have you made some commitments and you've just let them slide? You've forgotten, you've forgotten the commitment that you've made to God? I want to tell you something. I'm not, this is not a threat or anything to frighten you, but God doesn't forget our commitments. We make commitments to God, and, and God remembers the commitments that we make. 
and, uh, and I believe will hold us accountable. Sometimes I think he holds us accountable in this life, but will certainly hold us accountable. I, I wonder today, are there any of you here or listening or watching, and there are some promises and commitments you need to make. I, I wonder, are, if you were honest, are there some promises or commitments to God that you need to make? Not just some you've forgotten, but are there some that need to be made? I don't know what they may be, but I'll tell you this. If you will seek the Lord, he will let you know where you need to make fresh commitments to him. And I think life is full of those moments where we recognize and the Spirit of God speaks into our hearts and we recognize, I need to make a fresh commitment to God. I need to renew the vows that I've made to God. From time to time over the years, I've, I've done renewal ceremonies for couples that have been married. They want to they renew their vows. And sometimes they've been married for years and years, but they want to renew their vows. And I love the, the, the vows that they often do in those renewal ceremonies because a lot of times they, after many years of marriage, say, let's write our own vows. Well, they know each other on a different, uh, different level. And their vows are so beautiful. And they're saying, I want to remember the kind of commitment that, that we made. Now, I believe it's okay every once in a while to say, God, I want to remember the commitment that, that I made to walk with you. I want to remember the commitment that I pledged to you how I would serve you with my life. I want to remember the commitment of how I dedicated a little ones uh, to you. I want to remember whatever it may be, maybe some other area in your life, it may be some painful place in your life, and that area may have become painful, listen to this, because you've forsaken your commitment. And so Hannah teaches us the value of commitment and the importance of keeping our commitments. Listen to me. God is worth your commitment. He's worth it. There, won't, uh, there, there will be no one in heaven that will say, I am so sorry I made commitments to God. There, and nobody in heaven is going to say, boy, that was a mistake. And by the way, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior today, that's the first commitment you need to make. Because without that commitment, other commitments to God are irrelevant. And I'll give you an opportunity. I hope you'll do that today if you've never trusted him. The fourth thing that I want you to note from our passage this morning and uh, a, a lesson on victorious living that we get from Hannah is her persistence in verse 12. Verse 12 says, as she continued praying before the Lord. It's interesting to me that the Bible uses the word continued praying. And I think there are a couple of reasons why it uses this idea. She continued praying. She was pouring her, her, her heart out. She had already made her promise to God. She had already told God what she would do if God would, would uh, favor her with the son. But she doesn't stop. She continues praying. And I believe there are a couple of reasons why. I believe, first of all, because she continued praying, because deep praying is not a quick conversation with God. Deep praying, and there was obvious, very deep praying and seeking God going on. And that's not accomplished quickly. She had already laid her request uh, before the Lord, but she wasn't going to, uh, if you will, put it on the altar and be done with it. I think sometimes, sometimes we just give up. We just quit too, too quickly. But because she persisted in prayer, uh, she received what she sought. Now, 
I, I think we also learned for her that persistence in prayer is evidence of confidence in God. Now, not too many people pray like moms pray for their kids. And not too many people uh, storm heaven for their kids like moms do. But persistence in prayer is evidence that God can do what no one else can do for me. God can do in my family what no one else can do. God can do in my relationships what no one else can do. Deep praying, though, is not a quick conversation with God. Oh, I, I prayed about it, and I, you, you know, I kind of prayed about it, and that uh, enough I said. We're going to do another. Uh, last week was fantastic, our seasons of prayer in all these different areas, praying for healing, praying for salvation, praying for job matters, praying for our nation, just a lot of different uh, we've heard wonderful stories, and we're going to do it again next Sunday. Listen, but I would say to you, don't think that you say, well, I came to the first one, and so it's all taken care of. Deep praying is not quick praying. It's persistent praying. This woman was persistent. By the way, <laughs> last Sunday, just so you'll know, I haven't completely lost my mind. I had, a, I had somebody ask me after the service, say, Pastor you're talking about prayer, and you talk about the, uh, the person knocking, asking, seeking, knocking. Was that a him or a her? I said, well, who knows? Well, I, don't, I didn't know what he was really talking about until I later found out. I had kept calling the him a her, okay? I haven't gone woke. <laughs> Just so you'll know, it is a him. It was a him. But here's what I'd done. When I was preparing that parable to teach you, guess what I did? I read another parable in Luke chapter 18, just a few chapters ago, and it's about the persistent widow. And so I kind of put her in the hymn of knocking and asking, so just so you'll know, I haven't completely lost my mind. But uh, at any rate, uh, this woman here, Hannah, was persistent in prayer. It was evidence of her confidence in God. Warren Wearsby has made this statement. He said, nothing paralyzes our lives like the attitude that things can never change. We need to remind ourselves that God can change things. Outlook determines outcome. If we see only the problems, we will be defeated. But if we see the possibilities in the problems, we can have victory. Persistence, seeing the possibilities of what God can do, and it should characterize all of us. It's like saying, I'm holding on to God. That's what persistence is. I'm holding on to God. It's like Jacob wrestling with the angel. You remember in Genesis 32, 26, then he said, let me go. The angel said, let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I'll not let you go unless you bless me. You know what? That's what persistent prayer, uh, prayer is. It's saying, I'm not going to let go, God. I'm not going to give up. It is the persistent widow I mentioned of Luke 18. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. And he said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. And the story, the parable goes on to say that finally he says, enough because you just keep on persisting. I'm going to come and take care of your request. Whatever you do in prayer, do not quit. And that's what we see her. She had laid her petition before the Lord, but she didn't stop. She continued in prayer. Don't quit. Don't give up. Even if people around you don't understand the depth 
and the persistence of your praying. Eli thought she was drunk. She's praying, and he, he look, that was so unusual in that era. The Bible says in this same book, in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. So was persistent prayer. And so even the priest didn't know what was going on. He says, this is a drunk woman. She's out sitting outside here, uh, 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 mouthing stuff, but no word, uh, no uh, noise is coming out. This is a drunk woman. Listen, persist even if other people don't have a clue what you're doing. And then number five, note Hannah's praise. Look at verse 19. They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. I love the fact that both Elkanah that was her husband, Elkanah, and Hannah worshiped God. It says they worshiped God. And they worshiped God in advance of what God would do. Listen, the ultimate expression of trust in God is to worship and praise God in advance. And, and it reminds me that prayer and praise and worship are just expressions of our faith. Their, their worship, they didn't get up and worship and say, okay, all right, all right. Now, Eli had told her, say, may the Lord grant you whatever it is you're seeking him about. May he favor you. May he bring this. But Elkanah and Hannah got up before they journeyed home, and they said, we're going to worship God right where we are. We're going to worship him, and you can be certain. Remember it said that in verse 18 that uh, the woman went, went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad? Why? Because she had the peace of God. And when you have the peace of God, you worship God. She and her husband worship God. They worship God in advance of what God would do. This wasn't a business deal. Hannah wasn't bargaining with God. It was a believing response. It wasn't some negotiation that has worked out between her. It was not business. It was believing, and it was between God and Hannah. I'll tell you something else it teaches us and reminds us of, and that is that worshiping God is pleasing to God. Did you notice what it says? It says, and the Lord God remembered her. It was pleasing to God. Her worship was pleasing. Elkanah's worship uh, uh, pleased. And by the way, I could, I could do a message on Elkanah because what an incredible man he was to her supporting her and encouraging her in the process. But they both worship God, and worshiping God pleases God. I don't mean to insult your intelligence. You probably already figured that out a long time ago. What we've done already in this place has been pleasing to God. You know one of the things we pray in our staff prayer uh, every Sunday morning is that God would be pleased at the end of the day that God would be pleased I took our staff through a book this past week at uh, our staff retreat called An Audience of One. And the book is talking about the fact that in the end, our goal is to play to an audience of one, God Almighty. And when we do that, each of us together makes for powerful corporate worship. But when we gather in this place, we are worshiping to an audience of one. And when we do that, when you do that, when I do that, guess what? God is pleased. And he was pleased in this case, and he remembered her. Now, when it says he remembered her, it's not like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to forget Hannah. God doesn't forget you. He doesn't forget your commitments, your vows, your promises. 
but he doesn't commit it. What it means is God said, I am pleased. I am pleased with her, and I am going to do what she has requested. You must never, though, substitute the motions of worship for the meaning of worship. And Hannah and Elkanah were worshiping because they knew and they trusted in God to be what they needed when they needed it. And so they left. And then finally, I want you to see this. I want you to see Hannah's prize, verse 20. It says, in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. She called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. It's the result of her prayer, uh, her persistence, her promise. Um, This is the result. God heard and healed her affliction. He remembered what she had had said to him, and uh, and God empowered her body to conceive. And Hannah bore a son. And she called him Samuel, and the scripture says because she named him Samuel because she knew that he was the result of God hearing her. Because Hannah asked, and God heard her prayer, and through the experience, Hannah learned the wonderful truth, God answers prayer. God hears us when we pray. She learned this truth uh, experientially. Uh, Samuel was a gift from the Lord. The Lord had given Samuel because she prayed, and she honored God even in his name. So a woman named Mary Thomas. She was a single mom of nine children living in Chicago's rough west side neighborhood. And several, uh, or seven of Mary's nine kids were boys. Imagine that. And there were, they were young men. They were constantly stretching the boundaries of their tired mother's authority and her patience. And on one day in 1966, Mary opened the front door of her house to find 25 street thugs on her stoop. And these men were there. Uh, they were members of the notorious Vice Lords Gang of Chicago, and they had come to recruit Mary's seven sons to be a part of the gang. And Mary, hearing their intentions for her sons, dropped her gaze and said, oh, okay, hold on just a second. And she closed the door, went back in the house. When the door opened again, the first thing the vice lord saw was the barrel of a loaded shotgun. And then Mary said, there's only one gang around here, and that's the Mary Thomas gang. And with that same fortitude, Mary Thomas ushered all nine of her kids, what she called her gang, to their high school graduation in time. And by the way, you might have heard of one of her prizes. Her youngest son was a, became a pro basketball player and an NBA Hall of Famer, his name is Isaiah Thomas. Well, maybe you've heard of him, but you've also heard of Hannah's prize, haven't you? His name was Samuel, the man of God. And did you know that he made it into God's Hall of Fame? In Hebrews chapter 11, Go read verse 32 sometime. It mentions in the hall of fame of faith, Samuel, 
He was Hannah's prize. He was God's reward to her because of two things. He was a reward because of her faithfulness to God. From beginning to end, Hannah never questioned God. There's no evidence that she ever became angry toward God. She was a faithful servant of God from beginning until she received the prize. Now, you know what? Paul says that we all run to receive the prize. He said all of us are running to receive the prize. Uh, The writer of Hebrews tells us to fix our eyes on the author and the perfecter of our faith because one day, if we'll keep our eyes on him, we'll cross the finish line that we have. And by the way, it's the idea of a race that you can win. And you're not competing with others. You're running your race. It's why Paul, shortly before he was beheaded in a Roman prison, said, I have, I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished the course. And now there is laid up for me the prize. Paul says in Philippians, He says, one thing I do, brethren, is I forget what's behind me. I look forward to the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. And Jesus gave a parable to his followers. He said, God has entrusted you with differing kinds of talents and abilities. And then he said, go out and use what has been entrusted to you for my glory And then those that did return to hear the words of the master say to them, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. You get it? That's faithfulness. Hannah was faithful. And by the way, she would go on to bear other sons after this. But the journey was long and interesting. But she teaches us of the importance of staying faithful. And Hannah's prize was a result of her trust in God. She really believed that God would hear her and answer her prayers. She kept her word. She kept her word. If you go on and read the next passage, you you see that she takes Samuel to the temple to dedicate him to the Lord and to leave him there. She kept her word after weaning Samuel, the Bible says, That is, getting him to a place where he could eat on his own, probably several years, but then he's at that place where he can kind of manage himself. She takes him to, to the temple, and she dedicates him to the Lord, just as she had promised. She's a picture, in my view, of the victorious follower of God. She teaches us how to do the same when our journey is painful, to stay faithful, Keep your trust in God. She is a a model of persistence. She's a model of commitment. She is a model of faithfulness. She is a model of praise and worship. And right now, if your path is painful, don't give up. Like Hannah, remain faithful. Uh, Like Hannah, make your commitments to the Lord. If, if your path right now seems long, be faithful. St- stay on the journey. Uh, the tendency will be to say, uh, uh, something's wrong. I, I can't continue this. Stay the course. Stay the course 
So like Paul, one day you can say, I have finished the course that God marked out for me. And then if your path right now is unknown, I don't know where. I don't know where this is taking me. I don't know what God is up to. Trust Him. He loves you. He died for you. How can you not trust someone who died for you? And so right now you look and say, I don't know where. What is God doing? Is is God doing anything? You trust Him. Is He silent? You trust Him. He's not negligent, and he's not not working. He's always working because God is for you. God is for you. So stay faithful. Don't give up and trust him. Let's pray. Father, uh, these are simple reminders to us, but we sure do need them. Father, I thank you for the life of Hannah who teaches us what it means to live faithfully, to make commitments and to keep vows. Forgive us when we have neglected the commitments we've made. Forgive us, Father, when we've too easily given up. Forgive us, Father, when we've lived by fear instead of by faith when we couldn't see where the path was leading. So, Father, I pray today that you'll... Renew our commitments to you. That, Father, you will remind us that you are worthy of our worship and you are worth our trust. I pray for any that are in this place today or watching on television or by live stream or listening on radio that have never put their trust in you, that today they would call on you. Your word has said, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so, Father, I pray that right where people are, they'll call on you. You can do it this way right now in your heart. Like Hannah, who prayed from her heart, her lips moved, there was no voice, but she was praying. You can do that right where you are. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for loving me. I know I'm a sinner and I deserve condemnation. But you took my condemnation on the cross. Thank you. I invite you to come into my life. I put my trust in you. I give my everlasting soul to you. Right now, I ask you to become my Lord and my Savior and Master. Maybe others watching in this room, listening, whatever medium it may be, you have put your trust in Christ, but you have wandered so far away from faithfulness to Him. And you need today to renew your commitment to walk with Him. Now, you can't do it in your own strength, but He's provided His Holy Spirit to help you do that. So why don't you call on Him and say, Lord, I thank you that you saved me But Lord, I've forgotten the commitment. I've forgotten my vows. I've forgotten my promises. I've wandered off the fateful road. And today, restore to me, Father, the joy of my salvation. Renew me. And I reaffirm my commitment 
to be your child, to walk with you as your servant. Father, empower me through your Holy Spirit to be who you created me to be. And Father, to trust you when I know where the path is leading and when I don't. Now, Father, hear these prayers, we pray. We know you do. Father, change lives because of that. And Lord, would you change destinies because of it? And Father, would you cause those in this place and those who have joined us by other medium to acknowledge today that they put their trust in Jesus Christ. And it is in your Son's name, the precious Savior's name, Amen. Would you stand with me for our time of invitation? I'll be down here at the front, and staff members will be on these aisles. And I want to invite you to do one of several things. If you called on the Lord to be your Savior, would you slip out from the balcony or ground floor and come this way and take one of us and just say, Today, I called on the Lord Jesus. If you're watching by live stream or television, they'll give you instructions on those screens what you can do. But I invite you to slip out and come and make that decision public. Jesus said, if you'll not acknowledge me before men, I won't acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. And so we'll pray with you about that decision. Maybe you're here this morning and uh, you said, um, you know, I need a family to belong to. I'm a Christian, but I need a family. And I'd like to become a part of the Ridgecrest family. We'd love to have you. Would you slip out, come, take one of us, say, I'd like to join Ridgecrest. We'll handle it. We'll take it from there. You may be here this morning and you may say, I, I've never been scripturally baptized. I need to do that. If you haven't been, you do need to do that. And we'll schedule a time for you. You slip out, you come on. Whatever the case may be, maybe you want to come. There's something you're persisting as it relates to prayer before the Lord. You want to come and use this altar. Take advantage of it. Come and kneel before and persist in the house of God. Would you do that? 